Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is episode 153 of the show with Andrew Valder from Garage Sale Trail. You can find out more about Andrew on Twitter at Garage Sale Trail. All one word. More about him in a moment. This episode brought to you by the people who sponsored the show at Patreon, patreon.com slash Osher. Thank you very much to everybody that uh, has pledged money each and every month. For those of you that pledge a minimum of $5, there are exclusive episodes, of which there are more coming, I absolutely promise you. Uh, exclusive episodes are available uh, if you pledge over more than 5 bucks, I will uh, send those episodes to you. And uh, But you can also adjust your pledge if you want. You can make it more. You can make it less. You can make it go away. I don't mind. Whatever you can give helps me enormously helps me pay Andy that puts this show together. Patreon.com slash Osher is your way of uh, helping me out and helping make this show every single week. Without you, I couldn't make it. I just absolutely couldn't make it. I am doing a, another giveaway today of the exclusive episodes. It simply goes to someone who's made a comment uh, in the iTunes ratings. It really helps help me find it really helps me get people to find out about more about the show if you not only download but also rate the show it bumps it up in the itunes charts and this week's random commenter is you benbo25 benbo25 send me an email send osher email at gmail.com and i'll send you out the exclusive episodes uh benbo wrote uh, great to hear uh, honest and open conversations with a backdrop of bondi and real life challenges helps me to re- remember to be present and stop to feel my feet in my shoes yes benbo i'm feeling my bare feet on the floor right now Big hello to everybody that came and said hi at the Brisbane North Mental Health Expo at the Echo Grounds the other day. That was really great to meet everybody. That was nice. It was a great day to see everybody. It was great to meet everybody. Um, And I even got a show bag. Yep, at the exhibition, like the Royal Show, uh, wherever you are in Australia or the world, the county fair if you're in the States. Um, We were at the showgrounds and normally you get a sample bag or whatever. I got a sample bag. Had some stress balls and a coffee cup and 
Who gets a who gets a show bag at a mental health show? It was good though. It was really fun. It's great to be back up in Brisbane. I'm there half the week now. Uh, did end up going to get another bicycle because you always have one more bike than you need and one less bike than you want. I now have a folding bicycle, which is a killer. Uh, because up in Queensland you can't take a bike on peak hour. So now I've got a fold-up bike, I can get the train, which is ace. It's a whole new way to get around. I love it. Just tap on your card, get on the train, tap off your card, ride from there. It's bloody good. Sit there, read a book. It's brilliant. Love it. Beats driving. Yeah, really enjoy it. Hope your week was good. We're uh, in the midst of post-holiday-itis over here at Rancho Relaxo. It was great, though. Great to have a week away uh, with Audrey. It was really lovely. She took me to her home country of Fiji, and it's uh, super important to be able to see where she comes from and see where, you know, the things that developed her as a person and her family, and it really helped me understand a lot about it was like a hometown date, right, for like a bachelor show. But I did, I really did. I went back to where she was, where she grew up, to the house she lived in when she was a kid and all the places that she talks about and her parents talk about and saw how life works in Fiji. It's a very different society to our society. Saw the interesting multicultural dynamic that occurs there. Um, it's a fascinating place to be. Uh, it was really, really fascinating. It really helped me get to know and learn more about what it was to be with Audrey as well. I, I now feel a lot closer to her having done that, which is really nice. I feel like I understand her a lot more, which is really – I mean, I, I I liked her a lot and now I like her a lot even more. More even a lot? I don't know. I've had too much coffee today but still not enough. It's one of those weird days. But it was great. I had a week away um, – read two books, had some unplanned naps. They're always the best kind. Did I? Was I asleep? Did I sleep? Yeah, you were asleep for an hour. Really? I don't don't think I was asleep for an hour. No, you were asleep for an hour. You were even snoring. Really? Oh, okay. And then you just keep reading because you don't realize that you've been asleep for an hour. It's the best. Uh, But we did some scuba diving. Audrey and I like to scuba dive. It's a really nice thing to do, to go down and look at the fish. We hold hands on the water. You have whole conversations with each other. We're interested by similar things too, so we often spot the same little critter and go, wow, check that out. We have a whole conversation just by squeezing hands and sign language. It's it's wonderful. It's a really lovely, lovely, lovely way to do it. I highly recommend learning how to scuba dive. It's the next best thing you can possibly do to be a spaceman and you don't even need a rocket. So uh, so do it. Um, what else did I do in the last week? Oh, I came back from holidays. I had to go see my shrink and, uh, yeah, put my meds back up again. Well, increase my meds. Again, so we started on this many grams and we started on this many grams plus this. Now we started on this many grams plus this plus this. So now we're, we're, we're just increasing the meds, getting the dosages up. Uh, and, and this is the thing that you do with, with head meds. You just have to work on the fine balance of benefits versus side effects and constantly ask yourselves the question, am I okay with this side effect if I get this benefit? Or am I willing to risk getting this side effect if... I get this benefit or is living without this particular bad thing worth living with the side effect that's kind of bad but in a different way? Um, these are the questions you all, you have to end up asking and it takes a couple of weeks to figure out every time because you need a few weeks for everything to adjust. But So that's what I'm doing at the moment. It's constant tweaking, constantly adjusting dosages, but we're pretty close. I think we're pretty close. We're a long way from where I was. Yeah, I was on four different kinds of meds at one point. I'm just on one now, which is nice. Well, two if you count caffeine. <laughs> will we ever get there? I don't know. Will we get close? I'm pretty sure we will. 
Let me tell you about my guest. Oh, I'm stoked we can have this conversation today. Andrew Valder is a co-founder of Garage Sale Trail. They are on Twitter at Garage Sale Trail, all one word. What they do is they coordinate, pretty much they coordinate most of the nation who are having garage sales to have them all on the same day. They list 300,000 garage sales in all. And it's a way that they've found brings communities together reuse items within the community and really think about what waste actually is at the same time as having a bit of fun. They're they're a fantastic uh, operation. They're in their sixth year, gearing up for another big year in 2016, October 22nd. So there's still time to list your garage sale at garagesaletrail.com.au. You can jump on there now and investigate some of the items that are up for sale. There's everything there from pots and pans to uh, porcelain dolls to a yacht. There's an actual yacht you can buy. It'd be a big garage, but you can you can own it if you want. GarageSaleTrail.com.au. I hope you enjoy this show. It's a lovely human being, Mr. Andrew Valder. How are you, man? I'm glad to report I'm really good. <laughs> we are in the suburb of Bondi Beach where I believe it was that I first met you, uh, did you grow up out here? No, I didn't make my way until this part of the world until 1995. Wow. I grew up on the, um, on the north side actually, but I've spent the last however long that is, 22 odd years. Yeah, on the north side in the Insular Peninsula? No, no, I was lucky enough to spend some of my time there. No, I grew up in Mossman, mm-hmm. you know, in the uh, very privileged area that it is today and, and was then. Um, but I did have the extremely good fortune of spending a whole bunch of summers on the um, northern beaches. Mm. So they are a place that, that, that they're really close to my heart. And right. I still think they're a pretty amazing part of the world. What, uh, what did your folks do? Um, I had one parent who was dad who was work, at work and he was involved in <clears throat> stockbroking. And then he sort of found his way into um, politics and fundraising for political parties and uh, was pretty radically successful at that. Wow. <laughs> and uh, was the president of the New South Wales Liberal Party. Good Lord. And then he became the president of the Federal Liberal Party. And he was a, I guess you call a small L liberal. What's the difference? Uh, the difference, I think, is probably li- having a bit more of a heart, really, and having a bit more of social conscience and, yeah. and appreciation that not everyone's got the same stuff that you may or may not have. And that whilst enterprise and getting amongst it is, is at, the, at the heart of, of um, those values that also bearing in mind that life isn't the same for everyone and everyone... And consequently, people need to be looked at differently. How early in your life was it that he kind of said, oh, Andrew, not everybody gets an Atari for Christmas? When did you realise? I think I just grew up with that all my life, actually. And yeah. part of me is like, you know, he was born in the 30s. And part of me is like, that generation is a little bit more like that. You know, where they got brought up and their parents were 
depression, their parents experienced a depression. Yeah. You know, her life was seriously crazy. Yeah. So I don't know. I can't remember the exact time, but I was always, I was just always brought up with, um, be thankful for what you know, for what you've gotten, yeah. for what we're giving you. And I was extremely fortunate to be given crazy experiences and travel. And and now that I'm uh, a parent myself, and my little kids love me telling them stories about when I was a little kid, and I can tell them stories about I got a train set and I got a Scalatrix car set and how we put it together and whatever else. And in telling those stories, it's made me realise that uh, yeah, I was crazily fortunate and privileged as a kid and particularly having a, a dad who was doing pretty remarkable things now I look back I didn't really kind of understand it at the time it was just part of the course that John Howard was on the phone or whatever right. the journalist big name journalist was what really so you pick up the phone so Andrew speaking I asked your dad there yeah hold on John Mr. Yeah, there's all that kind of stuff. And really? He, wow. And he'd be in the background going, I'm not home. <laughs> depending on the depending on the time of day or, or, or the case. And then but then he also went on to do a thing called uh, as he got a little bit older, his I don't know whether his values changed or whether the Liberal Party's values changed, but then he went on to do a thing called um, Not Happy John, which was really campaigning against John Howard and his approach to immigration. And would Guantanamo have Bay and a whole bunch of things. Oh, he's a man who's never been backwards in coming forwards, whatever that, that expression is. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> and it was really interesting because he was kind of became an outsider of the Liberal Party for many years after that. And it's only just recently, actually, that he was sort of welcomed back since the Liberal Party's, I guess, since the leader of the Liberal Party's a little bit more progressive than what it's been for a while. And so that was kind of, you know, back to... My upbringing, that was sort of one lens that I grew up with where we would have election parties and, and, um, ever, and all of that kind of real political awareness, which, which has been fantastic because I love politics now. It's a big interest. But um, that was one side of the coin. And then the other side of the coin was my completely awesome mother who was, I guess in today's terms, a, a traditional mother who was dedicated to to looking after the family and bringing the kids up and doing all that sort of stuff. And she was the uh, epitome of consistency and, and nurture and all of those fantastic things. So when you were a kid and you're asking your parents about, I mean, I'm guessing this is in the 80s, the, when you say your father was a stockbroker, this is... Yeah, seventies and eighties. Did he get by with a ponytail and a and a and a white Porsche, or was he kind of a little more of the, uh, you know, brown cedar and leather bound books? Uh, he was. He was actually neither of those things. He was. Yeah. Um, he drove. So he was chairman of the stock exchange and whatever sometime in the seventies. Wow. 70s, which, when I look back on it, I, th- I think, and I don't know whether this is right, but I think maybe like the stock market and was a bit like what technology is now. Mm. Stock market was a new thing where there was a market and you could trade it. And This and is before or after we um, changed the value of the currency? After. Right. So I did that from I think the late 60s into, the, into 1987. Isn't that wild? That we, you know, 83 was it? 83 that we, de- we floated the dollar? Oh, sorry, you're talking about that? Yes, yes, yeah. sometime in the 80s. I don't know about that, 83, you know, 85, something like that. Before that. What our economy was was just this super controlled, yeah. you know, 
just do your thing, go work in the factory, everything will be fine kind of thing. Yeah, completely. Uh, you know, no open market, wild prices controlled by the government. Yeah, just totally. And that a, a Labor government did all that stuff. Now, traditionally, obviously, the, the ground of the Liberal Party, yeah, yeah. it's pretty amazing to so think back on I was, that. So I was, I'm going to ask you about that. When I've come to know and I've talked on this show a bit about having to go to school, having to go, I got to go to school, so I went to school with a couple of kids whose dads were party faithful, Queensland Liberal yeah. Party people, and I would listen to the way they talked about other people at school and their dads who were Labor or Union and just the derision that they spoke uh, and you can tell, like, you're not old enough to know those words or know what that means because I didn't know what they meant. But yeah. you know, I couldn't help but wondering, was it their parents' attitudes? Like how did your parents talk to you about differing political ideals? I don't know whether so much they spoke to me about political ideals or whether it was just that they role-modelled their lives, kind of spoke about their, mm. their ideals. But I do remember thinking, I do now that, the political, pro, uh, political parties in Australia, there's so much of a muchness in many areas. I do look back now and go it was really different because they did kind of talk about the Labor Party in the 70s as, um, you know, the, the commies, people would talk about the commies are under the beds or the reds are under the beds. I don't know if you remember that kind yeah, of do, stuff. Yeah. But, you know, now that's kind of incomprehensible to think that there's that much a divide between them. But I don't know, I think that they just, I got taught those values about, everyone's equal mm. and you might like boys or you might like girls or you might have money or you might not have money or you might be whatever, really. Yeah. So I was really lucky in that regard. That's, that's, that's good. Yeah, and I, I, um, my old man's actually 84 now and using that expression, the old man, with uh, <laughs> quite literally and he's, uh, I guess you'd say he's at the twilight of his life. And that has made me uh, reflect about what he's been able to, to give for me. And I, I wrote him a letter because I felt it was super important to kind of get a bit of, you know, do those important closure type mm. of things. And, uh, and one of the things was I always remember when he was a stockbroker, he drove a, uh, this mini miner. And I went to this kind of flash school and everyone had BMWs and, and um, Mercedes and whatever the European cars are. And my dad drove a Mini Miner. And I just remember thinking that was so cool and it was a little bit kind of, that's pretty super cool, isn't it? He's kind of, he's uh, kicking against the pricks in his own, mm. in his own way. And uh, it's that kind of stuff that I think is the, the great values that, that, that he's modelled for me. It's important to get that stuff down though and get it to them before they get to a point where they can't understand it anymore. You know. Actually, I was a real head case. He was getting really sick and I was a bit of a head case and then that happened and, mm. and I was able to get it to him and I just went, oh. Yeah, right. I feel so much Could better. Could he understand it still? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Oh, that's good. That's what happens to us all. It's a case of tick, tick, Yeah. Tick. <laughs> well, a prom- here's the thing, man. You know, I, I want to go fit, 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 dead. Yeah. That's the dream. I want yep, it. I want it to dream. be. I want it to be like. Ah, oh, it's a bit confusing. I forgot how to spell my birthday or whatever, and then go to the doctor and say, "It's as big as a tennis ball. We can't operate." Yeah. Come on over, everybody. <laughs> Have a big party, and then sit on a couch on the balcony and drink a cup of tea and just kind of wait. 
<laughs> I want it to be like six weeks from diagnosis to death. I don't want any of this fucking hanging around shit. Mm. I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah, and there's nothing like having an. Uh, 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 I haven't had much experience with death, but there's nothing like having a parent who's kind of not too far away from that to make you go. I better get the show on the road here. Well, yeah, yeah. And I said, really interesting. Uh, I had a conversation on this show with um, a friend of mine, Dr. Brody O'Donnell. She's a, a world champion, world record holding cyclist, but she's also a doctor, and uh, she does a lot of motiv- motivational. Inf- interviewing with men who uh, have been in the profession your father was in, you know, guys who are in their mid-40s and their heart's just going to explode because they've just got such shitty lifestyles. And, yeah. And she's, you know, basically trying to help these guys, you know, understand uh, what they're doing. And, and she talks, she sent me this really interesting article uh, written by a doctor, a cardiac surgeon actually, who wrote, you know, why I don't want to live past 75 or why I'm not going to live past 75. And he talks about not having any tests done for particular illnesses after the age of 55 and things like this. And he talks about what you're feeling and what I'm going through now with the prospect of, you know, your father figure passing away is that as a man, there's this thing you have to do and you have to go through that Mm. to ascend to the next, to level up. Yeah, right. right? But because people are living so long, they're denying their sons and daughters that, Growth. Yeah. Um, and they don't get to do that. Uh, but when you think about it, you know, we're also the first. Probably oh, the right. S- that's really interesting. You know? Yeah, and yeah. And also we're also the second, probably the second generation that's never had to bury a child. It's burying a child yeah. is really uncommon. Yeah, but surely yeah. when you're, what, your dad is what, one of how many? Probably a few, I'm guessing. Yeah, one of, oh, no, it's only one of two, actually. Oh, one of two? Well, yeah. it would have been my, out of. And my mum's one of three. All right, it would have been uncommon at the time still because the 20s and 30s people yeah. were, you had seven kids. You yeah, buried yeah. three of them, yeah, because it's just you know, or even yeah. twenty years before that, you know, if you got a, a, a solid flesh wound, it'd kill you. The bacteria would just kill you. Yeah, and imagine like your parents go to war. Yeah, yeah. How about that for a? Yeah, it's wild. How, I find that you know, I do find that kind of interesting. That as you know, I was talking to Gigi the other night about you know, I saw it in you, I saw it in my friends that had kids. There's that thing that happens to a man. Uh, you know, obviously a thing happens to a woman, we've all seen it, but there's that thing that happens to a man when he becomes a father that he's got his head screwed on, right? Something really powerful changes within him and all the focus shifts, all the intentions shift and everything becomes far more um, refined and purposeful. And uh, I was talking to Gigi about this the other night saying, look, you know, that's the thing that I wanted most out of being a father and I got it from my relationship with you. You know, mum and I aren't in a hurry to have another kid. She was a bit worried about you know, yeah, right. us having another kid. And, you know, I, I just told her, you know, flat out. But that, that's, so that's the first part of it is becoming a father yourself. And then when the one above you passes on, then you're the guy, you know, and that's an mm. important thing for a man to have that experience. Yeah, totally. And I, it's yeah, I've never really thought about it until recently, but it's so true. Yeah. It's heavy, your own. Because yeah. they're your godhead for the first five years of your life. As far as mm. you're concerned, they control the universe that you live in. They do. Mm. Yeah. yeah, totally. There's nothing like having kids or being a parent to go to realise, and it's stating the bleeding obvious, but to realise how much you are f- uh, the product of your parents. Oh, right. And the product of your own environment in whatever way it is and... I mean, it's been super striking for me and, uh, and it just becomes such a part of who you are and what you're trying to yeah. do with varying degrees of success Yeah, because it's, 
But anyway, gibbering on there. <laughs> no, not at all. I was just re- like, no, you and I met at Channel V. Are you, are, were you working there when I got there? No, y- you were working there when I got there, actually. Right. I don't remember too much from those days. I do remember a few things here and there. By demand, That's what my it friend. Was. Okay, so By you were there. By demand. You were there. Okay, yeah. And, but you'd come from... Speaking of ponytails. Yeah. Yeah, Speaking yeah. of ponytails, yeah, yeah. Different name, different face. Everything was different back then. Um, but you'd come from uh, working for a record company, hadn't you? Yeah, I'd been in the music business, yeah. Yeah. Signing bands to record companies and stuff like that. Uh, how did that start? <laughs> uh, that started by... Uh, that started as a kid um, kind of really getting into putting vinyl. I had, had this room out the back of our house a bedroom and I think maybe when I was like 16, 15 or 16 I moved into that room and I had a record player and I started playing records and going, this is pretty good. I don't know whether it was escapism or what it is that really appealed to me and I really started listening to um, to bucket loads of music and reading Street Press and it was Ram Magazine at the time which is going back have a long and I read about this um, rock and roll manager Chris Murphy, who managed in excess at the time and he was making lots of waves and and um, I think really people didn't... He was a real polarising figure. Oh, he still I, is. Uh, yes, and still is and, uh, and has been forever. He's hilarious I, on Twitter. Different Chris Murphy. Different Chris Murphy? Different Chris Murphy. That is Chris Murphy, the lawyer. Oh, right. Um, but who is absolutely hilarious on Twitter, yeah. I agree. But um, And so he was a uh, – and I thought, oh, great, this guy's making lots of waves. I'm going to write him a letter, see if I can do experience, work experience because if nothing else, it'll be kind of an eventful kind of thing with – and in excess were, you know, blowing up in Australia and I can't remember if they'd blown up around the world. And I wrote him a letter and he said, yeah, for sure, come, come and do work experience. And you're 16. No, no, I was a bit older than that. So I was 18. I, it was it – was, was no, it was last year of school. Ah. And then once I became legal to go to pubs – which is obviously where music was, was such an intrinsic part of music then. Then he said, well, do you want to go and see bands for us and see if there are any, if you think they're any good and I'll give you 20 bucks a go kind of thing and I'll get your name on the door. And I was like, no way, I'm going to get my name on the door and all that kind of stuff. And so that got me into the music business and then, no, it's like they're like so many things. They're just you know they're just little cottage industries where these little cottage businesses where these things have just gone bang, you know, like in excess did and selling millions of records and playing huge shows and crazy success. And next thing you know, he's got a record company and do you want to get involved in this and blah blah blah. And so I did, and uh, that was a pretty radical ride when you know before the whole business model of the music industry changed when record companies would go would change formats and they'd go from vinyl to CD and then all of a sudden their revenues would just go crazy again because everyone would buy their old collection on a new format and I, I was we were definitely the beneficiary in record companies in terms of we had money to spend and making videos and photo shoots of all these fantastic artists like you know, custard from your old hometown and and a whole bunch of different artists. Wow. Screaming Jets and rock and roll bands and Tall Tales and True and Rat Cat and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that was a really What amazing, an exciting time. Amazing, crazy period and of And you were life. a kid. Yeah, I was definitely a kid. 
Yeah, that was from when I was 20 to 25 and I look back and then I was like, I was a kid. Yeah, right. What did your folks think about you pursuing this career option? Oh, they were into it. They were like as long as you – I think they had the philosophy of as long as you like it and you give it your best, yeah. go for your life because something will happen. Amazing. Which I think is pretty good advice, don't you? As long no, as you I like do. it and you give it your best, something – Do you still have the letter that you wrote, Chris? No, no. Wow. I don't. It's interesting that. You just were, you just reached out, you just reached out, and he was into it. But I just think that's how stuff happens. Always, isn't it? You know, Always. and now that might be you might do it on social media, and you might mm-hmm. build a relationship, little relationship with someone on social media, and yeah. So yeah, I reckon that's how. I still reckon that kind of approach, outreach, however you do it, yeah, is how stuff happens. You just got it. You got it. All the, the big breaks that I've got in my career. Came. They all came to you, right? They no. all just, they all just walked up. No, I'm no, no, no. Completely no. being sarcastic. And that. No, well, don't worry. There was a time when my ego ran the show that I expected the door to <laughs> get knocked on or the phone to ring. We've and just got a whale. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, that's you. fine. Where We've just it? got a whale. Where is it? It's just going to pop up there, above or below that glass. Um, from you, where you are, yeah. below the glass. Below the glass. Well, right here. Yeah. Above the laundry. Yeah, I reckon it's about 250 metres offshore there. Oh, yeah, I see where it's... it's, it's you can see all that kind of... Yeah, there see, she hey! goes. They are good visuals that you've uh, that managed to coordinate for this. Isn't that lovely? Well, that's why I like to have my guests sit on that side of the table. Wow, that is really good. Heading south. Yeah, oh, they're yeah, done. Yeah, right, of course. They're done. They've gone down in May. Of course. I mean, they've, they've gone up in May. Had the summer break. Up to Hawaii, yeah. or wherever they go. They, you know, get it on and... Uh, Oh, hey, wow. Look nice. at that. It's a hump, humpback, too. Just one? Two. A uh, couple, yeah, right. That wow, is look incredible. at that. Honey, there's two whales out there. They're really close. There was one time they, were, they, came, they came right around these rocks, too. That was so close, you could see the barnacles on the, on the skin. Isn't yeah, that, crazy location. Isn't that incredible? What a country. That what a country. Crazy. And, yeah. you know, it took me living overseas to get what we have here. That. My goodness. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. That you can live so close to wildlife just yeah. at your front door. Did you, did, were you going to uni or anything at this point? Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, so I studied part-time at uni and I did a marketing degree <clears throat> and did that. And, but then in my car, I got to about 25 or 26 and I kind of thought and I looked around me and I was looking at all the executives in the various record companies who I don't know how old they were. I thought they were 40 and that was super old. And um, in my head, and that, and I was like, oh, my God, I do not want to be that guy who's doing the, hey, I know what's going on kind of thing. Yeah. And, and so I decided to look at trying to do something different and, and try to – I always thought – this is a terrible thing to say, but I always thought the music business was just not – it was a little tiny bit simple in how it did stuff, not the musicians themselves – but it was so sort of formulaic then and there wasn't a huge amount of, from, a, from a promotional perspective. There wasn't a huge amount of innovation or imagination or creativity. It was take the CD to radio, put the band on the road. Go and do an in-store. Do an in-store. Take out a half page in music publication X. And kind of in some ways, it's that when I, I look back and I go, oh, it's not really that surprising that in some ways the wheels fell off the music business. But anyway, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I went to uni and, and studied part-time and was a little bit 
jealous of my friends who are living the full-time university dream, but I guess I was getting to do super cool stuff like get immersed in music and, yeah. and close to people making... What's your favourite Screaming Jets story? <laughs> I, I didn't work uh, directly with... Yeah, okay, with, all right. Or that closely with them. But uh, obviously Dave Gleeson was not averse to to uh, expressing himself in all manner of different ways, <laughs> yeah. clothes on or off or whatever it might be. Yeah, I actually just remember now you said that. I remember seeing that. I remember him getting his dick out uh, on stage remember in he, Brisbane. Remember they he had He didn't that, mind that. No, I loved it. Remember they had that thing, uh, rock out with your cock out. Yeah. Australia, mate. Triple N. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. yeah. Totally. Bless him. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Well, I th- you know, I think about you know, bands like Rat Cat and Screaming Jet and stuff like that. I wonder how they'd... How that go now? And that the last kind of puff of of guitars before mm. um, dance music and pop music just took over everything. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna sound such like the old guy now, but I just okay. can't guitars, yeah. rock and roll. Well, yeah, well, yeah, gone right. It's gone. It's but it's not as exciting as going to see a really shit hot DJ. It's really exciting because there's really no, I haven't seen a band in ten years that. Live has made me go, what the hell yeah, was right. that? Yeah. I love listening to Flume yeah. on record and I'm totally going to sound like the old guy here, but I'm like, what's the Flume live experience like? Because it's obviously pretty good because there's a lot of people all over the world going to it. Mm. Puts on Lights a good show, or, I'm sure. Yeah, right. But again... I would much rather hang out on the couch and watch Survivor with my family than <laughs> go to a fucking gig. To, yeah, so I'm like that. <laughs> Get me in front of Brian Cox's Forces of Nature on ABC on a Tuesday night at 8.30. <laughs> yeah, man. But yeah. nothing like – but, uh, yeah, as you say, what, what could beat a, um, I don't know, a band like uh, – f- one of my claims to fame is um, demoing UMI and deciding not to sign them. And, uh, and my good mate subsequently joined the record company I was at and then did sign them. But going into a room, small room with 300 people and there was a band of that power performing yeah. live just literally would, literally would blow your head off. Yeah. But I guess that still happens today in different ways. Yeah. Just a, yeah. It's a generational thing. Though. Yeah. I, there's no way if I was playing in bands again, there's no way I'd go and do it. I'd be a DJ. Mm. Just the economics yeah. of it. Totally. Why would you? The economics of, of trying to get five guys in a back line around the country when I could just show up with a USB stick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, even if you get paid less than a five-person band, you're making more money. Yeah, your costs are non-existent. <laughs> yeah. oh, obviously, it's cost, but yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, you got to play for three hours, big fucking deal. Mm. All you need is one single. Give them a reason to book you. Play a long version of that and then yeah. the rest of the tracks, whatever you want. Brilliant fun. Yeah. I'm sure it is. Yeah. <laughs> I am sure it is. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful though because if I was the old guy in the back of a club watching a rock and roll band, I'd probably turn around and look at myself and go, what's that old guy doing here? Yeah. I always used to wonder, you know, those rock, those managers that you used to talk about that you talked about just before, when I'd be at gigs, when I started at V and you know, I'm about 25, 26, and I'd turn around and I'd see some of these guys, it's like, wow, you really are too old to be standing in here dancing like that. Yeah. Is that fake? I can't tell. I always noticed when I got to V, there was a record company nod that when they're playing the song on a Tuesday. <laughs> so yeah. basically what happens is the record yeah. company people come in and pitch <clears throat> on a Tuesday, 
They pitch yeah, the songs right. on a Tuesday and the songs get added or not on a Wednesday to the playlist. Mm-hmm. And you'd watch the record company people come in with the, the different singles and they put it on and go, yeah, man. And they just do this nod like it's the best thing that I ever heard and they're doing this nod going, mm, yeah, check it out. And you'd go to gigs and there was four or five record company people there and they're all doing the same nod. Like, statistically, not all of you can like this. <laughs> yeah. But we all – I used to be – I used to do the nod. You have to do the nod. Right. You have to support your artist and in whatever way you could with varying degrees of success depending on your connection to the person or the music or whatever yeah, right. you're into it. But I was the old guy on radio this morning. We were – oh, my God. So we're, we're hits in old school at uh, Hit 105 in yeah, Brisbane. Yeah, right. And we were teasing the classic nine at nine or whatever it is. And yeah. nine, no repeat something. And Dave, my anchor, who's great, he's the greatest guy, he goes, oh, coming up after nine o'clock, uh, hits an old school with this. And he starts playing the blue baba dee ba da ba song. Um, blue da da dee da da Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, we're not playing that, are we? Oh. <laughs> yeah, hits yeah, an right. old school. We can't play that. Sounds yeah. like a Nokia 3210. We can't yeah. play that song. Yeah, we're playing it. It's like, oh, man. Yeah, it's happened. It's happened. It's happened. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, it totally happened. It really happened. It happened twice for me. It happened uh, when we did a gig at Channel V uh, at Federation Square and Dashboard Confession. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. A lot can happen in 3 years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Applied. Oh, yeah. And 5,000 people were in tears singing along to this guy. Yeah. And I was like... Was that emo? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, nah, I don't get it. Yeah, right. Time for me to go. Yeah. Time for me to leave Channel V. And then when I was on uh, doing pop, doing Take 40 Australia, when we just started playing heaps of Bieber, and I was like, nah, I don't understand it. But weren't those live performances at V, weren't they epic? It was great. Like I go, that whole Channel V bus thing, was that a- was completely formative for me. And kind of I think in terms of what I do now of how amazing it is to connect live with an audience. Yeah. And bringing people together sounds a little bit cheesy, but, you know, bringing people together and connecting live with an audience. And I kind of think that has been really formative in doing Garrisale Trail, knowing that you, you're doing something that is connecting with people all over the country and they're participating in some way, shape or form that that works for them. Yeah. It was, it was something. That was a really super... They, yeah, they were really interesting gigs. Some of them were a little too frightening for my liking. Yeah, you definitely had your hands full. Uh, sometimes, yeah. Um, always in the back of my mind was uh, how bad it can go because oh, totally. we were both at the big day out where totally, Jessica and yeah. died. There was always that in the back of my mind that big crowds of people on a hot day can be quite quite dangerous. Yeah, with a few with a few feisty characters in the yeah. crowd. Uh, tweed, not tweed heads, cool and gutter. Yeah, oh my God, yeah, I remember. So that was a little bit exciting. Yeah, having to cut the show short. 
<laughs> One too many long necks have been pegged yeah. at the stage. Yeah. <laughs> but we uh, we worked together at V, and I was uh, always very interested in in the vibe that you had of this kind of uh, incredibly well dressed guy that also served. <laughs> like I didn't know you could do both. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you managed to effortlessly knit the two things you loved most, music and surfing, together. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty good. But when you left V, um, you, you started ex- exploring the world of starting your own thing and, and getting into startup stuff. How did you find, I mean, before Garage Sale Trail, which is going very well, did you have anything that didn't go so well? That No, got- not at all. Everything's been great, Come of course. On. you know. Yeah, I mean, I... <clears throat> I look back on that and that's I'm 10 years plus into doing my own thing and trying to really, I'm uninterested. It sounds a bit egotistical, but I'm really uninterested in sort of doing my own thing now. And But when I started and I set up a company that was in, I don't even know how to describe it. It was, like it was, some kind of, it was a music agency. It was trying to connect brands with music and, and brands with surfing. I had no idea what I was doing, like none. But it is definitely the good, the great ad for you've got to get out and do it. Mm. In order, in order to learn, make all the mistakes. Hopefully, you don't make enough that enough too many mistakes to <clears throat> to send you over the edge. But yeah, I certainly learnt everything on the job, and you know, and the first couple of years of Garrisale Trail were absolutely no exception either. Right, we were a couple of guys with a describe it as we were a couple of guys with a a laptop, a mobile phone, and an, and a and an Excel spreadsheet and a whole lot of energy, and Really had no idea what we were doing, but amazing what you can achieve when you um, commit yourself to it. Because we live in a part of Bondi, and you can look at the end of my street, you can see it, it's everywhere, but there isn't really any needs for garage sales in this part of Bondi because if anything you don't want, you just put it out on the street. Every night's hard rubbish night here. (laughs) You just put it out on the street and it gets, gets taken. Someone will pick it up. Yeah. Unless it's a cathode ray tube television, nobody wants those, the old kind. Yeah. Nobody wants old TVs. Yeah, the analog television is a bit of a tough sell. Yeah, a bit of a tough sell. But everything else you can pretty much get away with. What was it about garage sales that made you go, you know what, there's something here? We were doing our agency um, thing. We lost a client. And uh, I was like, oh, shit, better, we've got to do something. And I, and I didn't know what to do, to be quite honest. We're like, let's do a community festival where we live because something will come out of it. Let's do a community festival. So we did a community festival about all the stuff that we thought was cool, surfing and music and film and art. And we also went kind of to your point about this stuff all over the street. Let's do a Dave Garrish sales as a part of the, the um, community festival. It was called Sizzle. Let's do a Dave Garrish sales. And we gave it the tagline, don't dump it, sell it. And the thing that went bonkers on our community festival that had a budget of $8,000 was the Dave Garrish sales. And we kind of concluded that the world didn't need another music, surf, film, art event. But what the community had responded to was coming together in the street in their local area and either just milling around and chatting to your neighbours or if you're selling, um, making a few bucks and, and doing some decluttering. And we thought, it was just like, wow. And it was 11am on a Sunday morning and there was this nice little buzz and it was all kind of positive and healthy and and we kind of looked at each other and went, I wonder if we could, do you think we could do this nationally? Do you think that would, would that fly? And 
and it all kind of went from there, really. Wow. So you put this, um, you put this day of garage sales together with the bloke that you were in business with at the time. Yep, Darren Nichols, yep. Lovely chap. Lovely, lovely gentleman indeed. Lovely gentleman. Met him at a um, cross-training class in, uh, on Bondi Beach on a Saturday morning one day. There you go. And he was doing this super, super cool um, touring surf movies thing called Soul Riders, which, you know, bang right into surfing, completely appealed to, to me and yeah. we started working together and kind of one thing led to another. Right, yeah. So what I, what I like is that, again, your story involves you going out and making something first. You just went and I'll just, we'll just go and do it. We'll see what happens. <laughs> no, I like it. No, but I think that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. Because if there's one thing that people have sat in this chair that you're sitting in happens over and over and over and over and over again, the things that happen happen to the people that go out and make the thing happen. Mm-hmm. All right? The sitting at home and waiting for the job to knock on the door or the lover to knock on the door or the answer to knock on the door, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Yeah, that, that ain't going to happen. No. <laughs> no, and it's that you didn't know exactly what, you guys wanted to do, but you thought, well, like you just said, let's just put something on and yeah. we'll see what comes of it, yeah. see what happens. And I'm sure you met heaps of people on the day and, and so you got this, you got the metrics back of how much revenue you did and, you know, how many bits and pieces got sold and how many people. What was the next step to try and scale that? Because it's a, it's a really kind of interesting idea because why would people want to go to you when they can just have a regular garage sale? Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, well, there was a few things that happened. So I think you're, you're so bang on when you say you've just got to do something because something will come out of it. So what, there was a few, th- a bit of luck. A bit, we had a bit, a bit of serendipity because we built a website where people would register their garage sale and so all of a sudden we had a connection with all of these people so we were able to get some data. So data in this world rules. Data is king. And so we are able to understand one why, and ask people why they did it. And we're able to learn heaps about that. And then we're able to, we, we learned along the way that government really can't, doesn't do too much without data. But so if you can give data to government, then, and it's the right data, then that is a basis of which a government will make a decision whether they support you on something. Um, really different from the private sector that often might just be, in the private sector, it might just be, oh, I just really like this and I've got a hunch about this, let's do it. So we, we had some data that, and it was, and we learned this expression at the time that we, it was called the triple bottom line. <laughs> and I had no idea what the triple bottom line was at the time, apart from kind of sounding a little bit interesting, a triple bottom line, what is that? So we learned that, that government also was really into this idea of improving metrics around sustainability, around community and around um, the economy. And Garrisale Trail happened to sit in all of those things because people would make a few bucks, you would meet your neighbours and you were reusing stuff that might end up in a hole in the, in the ground which government has to pay for and, indirect and really residents have to pay for. So all of those things were ticking boxes. And then we got one an award or two and there is nothing like a little bit of media attention to increase your stocks pretty rapidly. And so we won a couple of awards and thought, uh, let's see if we can do something with this and started to ring some, well, a couple of councils started to ring us. And then we started to do some outreach to some councils and go, we've done this thing here in, in Bondi Beach in Sydney and wondering if you might like to do it. And lo and behold, you know, similar kind of 
uh, neighbourhoods in capital cities around the country, they went, councils went, yeah, let's, let's give that a go. And there was a real spirit back then, which I think is so at odds with people's perception of government, that all these councils, like we're a couple of guys, zero track record in the space, zero. And they went, yeah, we'll, we'll try that, we'll give that a go. We've got enough data to, to justify it and it seems like a really good idea and it was new and it was different and it really just kind of went from there. But local government is where real change happens. Federal government moves like molasses. Mm. State government is just held up by anything a newspaper says, they will fuck them over. Like they'll try to do something one day and then the paper will write something horrible and they'll yeah. say, no, we're not going to do it anymore. But local government is where little small councils is where real community change really happens. And they're much more nimble because they can move. Yeah, that's, it's so true, yeah. And it's been an incredible journey actually to learn. Like it's so, local government is so responsive. If you pick up the phone or write an email or a letter or whatever it might be and engage with them, local government will engage with you. And we were shocked. Anyone kind of listening to this podcast, if you wanted to, if you've got something to say, you can probably, chances are you can go to your local council's website, look at the mayor's mobile number will be published in two out of three instances and their email address definitely will. And if you ring them on their mobile, the chances are that they will pick up their, the, the mobile, they'll pick up the, take the call and have a chat. And if, assuming that you're not kind of peddling some kind of kooky out there idea that doesn't fit what they're trying to do. It's yeah. I, I was floored by that. It's yeah. democracy absolutely in action. It's incredible. Because I get this idea that so many of these things are out of my reach. Once I've had my vote every few years, that's it. That's my say and everything else just happens without me. Because, like, I don't know, I just feel so distant from the idea that I can engage in the political process like that. If it's, it's just like that other point that you were raising about... Um, Getting, if you want to get something done, you've got to kind of make it happen, yeah. whether it's in your work or your personal life or whatever. But it's uh, this, it's, I've been, it's made a huge impact on me. It's the same in, in, with social change or interacting with government that if you want to get something done, you can. You've just got to do it and go about it in a way that is, that is demonstrating some kind of understanding of their process. So for the, the son of a very successful stockbroker, and now you're in this triple bottom line thing, which I'm, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, is people, planet, profit. Yep, indeed, indeed. Um, that must feel uh, must feel different to the uh, you know the kind of thing that you saw when you were a kid. Yeah, it's totally different, and I, and I, I it also I found it a bit confronting actually. For a while because I, I grew up and I was like, oh, I'm going to be the big swinging guy who's going to make it all happen like this, that, and the other in a and I don't really know what that was. It was just some kind of idea I had in my head that was a function of being brought up in an environment like that where a highly successful man and, and moving in influential circles and all of that kind of stuff. And, I had, and that was who I thought I was. And it's been so liberating. <laughs> took me to my 40s, but it's been so liberating to go, oh, actually, that's not who I am at all. It's just who I thought I was meant to be. And then um, Garrisel Trail was, I think, really the first thing that I completely committed myself to. And because it resonated with who I, who I am and, and made sense on a whole bunch of values uh, with regards to my values, and then stuff has happened really as a result of that. 
and it's worked and it's grown and, and all those kind of things. What is, what is it about helping people find new homes for their bits and pieces they don't want anymore and getting a few bucks that resonates with your values? Uh, it's not so much that that resonates with me. What resonates with me is the idea of doing something that makes you think about where the stuff came from, where it might go, and the idea of encouraging people to do something that makes them think that, makes them realise that they're responsible for, in buying anything, you are making a choice that has a whole lot of impacts and the impacts might be on how on the on the planet in terms of how that product was made or the impacts might be on in in the waste stream or again on the planet in terms of where that product goes and so for me the dream with garrisol trail is that it becomes a celebration of people uh, recognizing and taking responsibility that we're all responsible for for what we do really for what we buy and where it's come from and where it's going to go and recognizing that we're all part Super cheesy, but we're all in this together. We really are. <laughs> we, re- we really are, which is the thing. And I know uh, Rusty Rocket, Russell, Crow, um, Russell Brand talks about it in his book Revolution. He's like we are very quickly uh, wasting our biosphere to a place where it's going to be unlivable. But as far as I'm aware, the 1% people, they live here too. They can't yeah. really go and hide. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like that's the thing that just the disconnect that he, he sees is like, how can you deliberately poison and endanger a planet that you also have to live on. Uh, has it changed the way you shop for things? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I'm, I effectively now work in the waste industry and it's completely changed all of that stuff in terms of packaging and single-use stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's everything we, everything, everything we do has a, makes an impact. So. Some people might argue, though, that a certain personal choice might be is, is futile when it comes to global change, though. Uh, yeah, I guess that can definitely be argued. Um, but, uh, of course, unless we do something collectively, as we say, one garage sale on its own doesn't make much of a difference. But imagine what can happen when you know, everyone yeah. in the country gets involved. I often wonder, you know, I think about it sometimes when I think about the carbon footprint of what it takes to manufacture things, whether it be these microphones or these cables or, or whatever. Like if all manufacturing stopped tomorrow, I think that's the idea, you know, that, that's, that's what makes things that are anything more than six months old almost valueless yeah. because you know something new and better is going to come along tomorrow. But if yeah. all manufacturing stopped tomorrow, an iPhone 5 would still be a pretty pot shit piece of thing. Pretty decent Pretty decent. Kit. Does everything my yeah. iPhone six does? It's just yeah. a little bit smaller. Yeah, that's right. You know, I find that you know it was kind of fascinating. And certainly, when you think about, I was thinking about the um, yesterday when uh, oh, no, I was watching some ancient um, American sitcom, and there was a shot of the attic that they have in the American houses, and it was just full of stuff that looked like it was bought off infomercials in the morning. You know, yeah. And I thought, wow, like every single one of those things has come from a factory. Yeah. That is mine shit out of the ground to press it into stuff. And when I think about even just in this room, you know, it, yeah, it can pretty radical, really it? Yeah. blow your mind when you start to think about the effects of such, of such things. Where, where, do you see, where do you see it going? Where do you see the, the future of commerce and of, of value around used or slightly used things? Well, I just think the whole mindset of the community is changing. And, you know, we've seen the rise of 
So I don't think the solution is in you know, reusing stuff is, gonna, is the answer. Uh, it's not. It's a tiny. In fact, it's actually a t- really tiny little part of a much bigger puzzle around you know energy and transport and our built environment and so forth. But it's all cumulative. You know, you start off going, "Oh, recycling is really great." I'm gonna, and everything's. It's all kind of a cumulative thing, living a more sustainable lifestyle. So, I kind of think it's really interesting this shift we've seen into um, purpose-based organisations. This is going to sound like I'm anti-capitalist. I'm 100% not anti-capitalist at all. In fact, I feel like I'm quite pro-capitalism um, in terms of creating a solution. And I think it's really interesting that capitalism is starting to create these great solutions around. Well, obviously, capitalism doesn't have all the answers, but it's it's got some of them. And to date, we haven't managed to find a better solution. But it, you know, who gives a crap? I don't know if you've... Mm, the toilet paper company. Yeah. So I'm sure it's... It's having an effect on Johnson and Johnson and all these kind of people by giving a percentage of the profits to to people who who have um, suffer suffer from um, water hygiene related matters and that kind of stuff. And just seeing how purpose is now being built into so many businesses and organisations, mm. and where because I don't think any of us want to go. Oh, I'd love to give my money to start to an exec to a chief executive, so their bonus is twenty million this year. Because it's, you kind of go, that, that doesn't make any sense, <laughs> does it? But you do go. Wouldn't it be great if I could give my money to someone who's either giving something a crack or trying to do something positive? And I think that I don't know. Do you see that around you? I see that around. Well, I don't know whether I live in a bubble. No, you know, but you know, yeah, we all live in our own bubbles. Yeah, but I see that I, everywhere. I think it's just affirming to people and consume like. This idea that, yes, I vote once every couple of years and that's my say is not real. The idea that I vote every single time I tap my little card on the machine and pay for something, that's me voting. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty real. That's me voting every single time. I'm voting, I'm supporting that company that does that particular thing, Um, whether it be, you know, what I eat or where I drive or how I drive or how I travel, that where you spend your money, and let's be honest, if everyone decided to not eat at McDonald's for two days, it would cause, you know, in this country, it would cause such a shift. People yeah. would, McDonald's would freak out because they would just wouldn't have the money to, yeah. you know, sustain 48 hours of fees of, of keeping the places open. Yeah, know, yeah. It, it wouldn't take much to change entire the way entire companies move just through, through a campaign. And, you know, you've seen that... Um, you saw that to great effect in my industry when on uh, Two Day FM, when uh, our mate uh, Kyle got in some trouble for saying some things, and like tens of millions of dollars of advertising just went. Whoosh. Yeah, they just pulled it, and then the company has to act. Yeah, the that's company right. has to yeah. act, and that we're in this we're in this phase of existence now where, as a collective, the consumers can rally together and make it a, a buying decision. Make a buying decision. You see it in palm oil. You're seeing people making decisions about palm oil yeah. and things like that. Yeah, and I mean, like, that's such an interesting example you raised about palm oil. My nine-year-old daughter goes to school, to a public school here in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, and she's like, oh, Dad, we can't eat palm oil because it's going to kill the orangutans. Oh, Dad, we can't eat McDonald's because da-da-da-da. It's like, what? You're telling me you can't eat McDonald's? You're nine? you serious? So I guess the, the world's changing as it has for many, as it has since the world started, but changing pretty rapidly. So I'm kind of optimistic about uh, the future and humans sorting out solutions. I, I, no doubt we have to pull our finger out pretty quick smart. But I'm also 
because it has the potential to be such a downer of a subject, I'm kind of into it's got to be fun. There's got to be in it. There's got to be something in it for, for us all outside of uh, we're doing the right thing. And so one of the other things, you know, getting back to Garrisel Trail and what floated my boat, one of the other things was that it was kind of fun and you could express yourself. And we saw people expressing themselves with these crazy names, whether it was, it was crazy names for garage sales or just expressing themselves full stop. So they, there's these great sales like um, the uh, vasectomy sale where they're selling, you know, they're not, not having any more kids and they're getting rid of all their stuff. <laughs> or the uh, it's a divorce sale. Yeah. I, I don't know whether that was those kind of things are done with humour or not. I guess it depends on the situation. But... We saw people express themselves and, and, you know, baking cakes and getting dressed up and playing tunes and, and I was really drawn to that because, um, because it's fun and people expressing themselves is kind of where it's at, I think. And, and so I really got drawn to going, trying to make something of this little funny day of garrisales we did in Bondi Beach back in 2010 because it combined culture, pop culture and people expressing themselves with doing something that made some kind of positive difference that you could, if you wanted to buy into it, unreal, buy into it. If you don't want to buy into it and you want to sell some stuff and declutter your house, unreal, all power to you. And I think, and that's kind of how these different movements have, have started to, to take shape. But the idea of being having fun and being able to get something out of it as an individual is really fundamental to it. So, yeah, you've probably walked the streets of Bondi one day when it's been on. I don't, actually, I don't know if you have because you've been away, but, but it's, uh, it's, it's pretty fun. No doubt. No doubt, it's, no doubt it's fun. Where would you like to see it go? I would like to see it in Australia become a day on the national calendar. Okay. I kind of think back to what Clean Up Australia was in the 90s when it was a really big deal where it was kind of like it was a day. You know, it was all over the television and that's what people did. And where and and obviously in the environment, sustainability has come such a long way since it was then, which is picking up rubbish. So it's just something that we do on this day of the year because we recognise that we have to all change the way we change our behaviours, and and we all and we can and it can be fun, and we can get something out of it, and it's not all kind of a real downer and all of that kind of stuff. So I'd love to. That's the goal for Australia and in. Um, Interna- internationally, we've been fortunate enough to have, had, have the program adopted by some governments in the UK. So to see it grow, grow there and, and, and move to other countries would be incredibly wonderful. Are there countries that don't have garage sales yet? Certainly, I think a lot of uh, the Western, Western world countries, I think garage sale is just a name given to sell, yeah. buying and selling in its simplest form. Yeah. So I think everyone has a... It's the old... Aside from the oldest form of commerce, yeah. I think it's the oldest form of commerce. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I think it, they exist. They, they have different names. Yeah. One, one side of the US, I think they're yard sales. On the other side, I think they're garage sales and jumble sales in the UK and all that kind of stuff. But So they call it jumble sale trail over there? No, it's get, no we've, gone for the, uh, we've gone for exporting... Australia and it's the Garage Sale Trail. There you go. Cultural imperialism. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. I love it. I love it. There was a cracking one around the corner the other day and they had, speaking of music, they had some like far long forgotten music formats, Casingles. Casingles? Casingles were there. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, if I buy a Casingle, then I'm going to have to go find a cassette player from somewhere. (laughs) That's a whole, unless you're selling one of them too, I don't know how I can... 
And the people around here in in Bondi Beach, they around Sculpture by the Sea time, people who live just around here. Oh mate, it's on. The, those those entrepreneurial folks come out and drove stone they with their garage sale and those thousands of people walking by. Yeah. And I, I think that's the other part of it that I love is that it brings out enterprise and you see people having to – and they do be- – some people do stunning, beautiful, amazing signage. Yeah, right. And, you know, it's all these little aspects of life that I think are of, of note and of what are the most What are the most common things that people sell at garage sales besides clothes? Oh, well, there's all the, the standard stuff, you know, the kids' toys and the clothes and the – but then there's um, homewares are big. It's really all the stuff you expect, but I think what what has really surprised us is how it's also the things you don't expect. So we've seen people sell apartments, houses, deceased estates, water-powered jetpacks, hovercrafts, caravans, cars. So it's that kind of stuff. Uh, There was a couple of grandpas who put themselves up for sale where they were offering themselves as handy with a cup of tea and good at mowing a lawn and that kind of stuff. Not sure if there was something a little more, a little more RSVP.com. Hey, look, if you're that, if you're a, if you're a widower in your late seventies and you've got something to <laughs> you've got something to offer the community, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So there's all, it's uh, it seems to talk to all sorts of different people in different ways. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Though, so do you get itchy feet? Do you think, oh, what's the next thing I'm going to make? You're starting to think about the next thing already? Yep, definitely. Yeah? Yeah, we've got plans to... I'm going to get a little bit serious for a second. As I, but I think, for me, I think the stuff that's kind of a bit hard in the world that we live in is either not being able to connect with people socially. So I think the most important things in life are being able to connect with people on a, a, a human-to-human level, whether that's you know friends, family, lovers, whatever it might be. Um, and I think the other big one is being able to connect with nature. And I know when I've had a hard time um, in life that either or ideally both of those things, that's kind of like ambrosia for me. If I can connect with another human being on a meaningful level, it's so soothing. And if I can get into the, the natural world, it's similarly soothing. And so the next thing for us is how we can... Um, bring those two things together and, and we're looking at growing food and how people grow food in the urban environment. And we did this thing not too far from here actually with a little restaurant called Three Blue Ducks. It's gone on to do a bunch of fabulous things in different parts of the country and we did a little pilot called Grow It Local. And Grow It Local was where we invited people to put their patch on the map, their veggie patch on the map, and if they and invited them to partake in a in a local feast where they could contribute produce. And we all came down to Bondi Markets, dropped off the stuff, and then the absolute champion people from Three Blue Ducks turned it into something. And it was an amazing experience where people went fishing for the day out here and brought caught tuna and some people brought macadamia nuts that they'd grown around here, like stuff you just couldn't imagine. And and the stories of the stuff of their tree was my grandmother planted the tree and da-da-da-da-da. And so we're looking to see how we can do something with that. And we also, because we, and then we did another incarnation of that with TEDx in Sydney, where if you bought a ticket to TEDx, you're invited to, if you wanted to contribute some produce to the lunch. 
There's a couple of thousand people who go to the Opera House and Matt Moran and the ARIA folks were involved in that and it, that was a remarkable thing where we called it crowd farming and where the community contributed the produce and then these people are pretty handy. We on a stove then turned it into something and there's something in that that we hope to to um, to turn to take to invite the community to participate in the in the not so distant future. Sounds great. Yeah. Sounds yeah. so good. Makes me hungry just thinking about it. Yeah, but I don't know about you, but I just think just getting your hands in the in the soil. Yeah. Just interacting with the soil and plants and it's all it's it's just like it's ambrosia, it's psychological and emotional and mental ambrosia and I guess it talks to our where we came from as people. Yeah. My grandmother in Adelaide on Carrington Street in Adelaide, where they used to live, pretty much in their backyard, they grew everything. They'd only go to the butcher for, for red meat. Yeah. And fish for the seat, the fishmonger. But and tea, I think. Yeah. That's right. about yeah. it. Everything else came from their backyard. And that was a family of five. Mum, dad, and three kids. Yeah. And she was a doctor. And it's not like she had some sort of mad skills. She just was like, Yeah, no, this is what we did in the old country, this is what we do now. Yeah. And that that blocks of land were big enough then to mm. – they had fairly sizable backyard, but it was big enough to produce enough food for that many people. It's pretty wild when you think about it. Yeah, and it's and, – but the world has just changed so much now so that two parents generally working now mm. can't afford a backyard. So all of that stuff has sort of changed and I think that massively motivates me, the yeah. idea of being able to do that stuff and because – it's the it's just equi- equips us to be able to deal with all the crazy stuff that gets thrown at you in life. You know what? Uh, allow me to throw this one at you. I would love to compost, but I've got nowhere to put it. Yeah, right. So if you could find a way to connect people like me, yeah, who want to compost with someone who can actually grow stuff, yeah, that might be an interesting thing. Yeah, that might be an interesting thing. If like every Week Barry, who lives down the road, comes and grabs a couple of kilos of yeah. stuff off me, and in return, he gives me a box of fruit. Yeah, totally. You know, something like so to, to allow people that don't have the backyards because you can get those. I can't remember the name of the system. It's a Japanese one. It's designed for in apartment in a Bikashi. That's it. Bakashi box. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you can use that system and create mulch. Yeah. But if you've got nowhere to put it, you're like it's just going to go in a landfill. Yeah. What's it going to do? What's yeah. It? Yeah. Worm farming, composting. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful thing that is. Yeah. Nothing like uh, making your own black gold out of a worm, creating a black gold out of your worm farm, putting, yeah. putting it on the, the plants in your, in, in your apartment. They explode out of the ground. It is possible. It is possible. Yeah. But, you know, just an idea. Yeah. Take it with it what you will. Yeah. Or don't. So all of these things for me are being motivated by, uh, I guess, being able to for us as, as individuals and us as uh, a community to better cope. So because that's what, that's what we need. It's not always easy to, to function as a human being. So stuff that we can do that connects us back to simple stuff, elemental stuff like growing food or connecting with the community or leading a more sustainable life, that's the kind of stuff that is floating my boat, Osha. I love it. If you let me know where to put my compost... I'd love it even more. Yeah, I like that idea. Here to help. 
The, comp the compost community? Yeah, you sell, you sell me the box. Yeah. All right? And part of the return on investment is that I get fruit from whoever or I get produce from whoever I give it to. Yeah. Yeah, a marketplace for... Yeah, whether that be a farm further out west from here or whatever, mm. you know. Each worm farm has a QR code on it that you snap with your app and then so it knows every 14 days, oh, theirs is ready now, come around. Mm. Pick up a couple of kilos of it. Yeah. Could be interesting. Picking up what you like. Yeah, I'm hearing you there, picking it up. Could be fun. Yeah. I just realised that I've got a, I was supposed to be on a conference call five minutes ago. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Exciting. That's good because we've been talking for ages, which is nice. Thanks for coming around, man. No problem. Thanks heaps. I hope that was, there was oh, something awesome. there for you. So great to see you. Oh, it's unreal. It's great to have a chat. I can't believe your story. It's freaking fantastic. <laughs> yeah, well, this is about you today. Yeah, uh, yeah. But we'll talk about that another time. Yeah. Uh, so I'll see you when I'm your neighbour. Oh, Might nice, a couple yeah. Months. We'll be over there. Right, okay. Yeah, go back to Bronte. It's pretty nice. Much more peaceful. Well, I hope good. you have a night. You'll say you'll be here for Garrisal Trail still in this location, right in the guts of it. When is it? October 22. Yeah, we're here. Good timing because we're about to downsize to go to another apartment. Yeah, it's, a, it's also the na day of national, the national day of decluttering. Boom! But you can, Matt, you might need to do a little bit of it yourself if you're going to the smaller place. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm going to take your photo real quick. All right, let's do it. That was Andrew Valder. You can find out more about him and what his company Garage Sale Trail are doing at garagesaletrail.com.au. The sale this year is on October 22nd, so even if you don't sell stuff, you can get on there and look around and see what's up for grabs in your area. There will always be something lovely. I believe someone more famous than me said one man's trash is another man's treasure. I'm also going to say it's going to be one woman's trash is another woman's treasure or one person's trash is another... Oh, I don't bother. Stop. It's, you know what I mean. Okay, I've got to go. Thank you very much to everyone that supports the show. Patreon.com slash Osha. Without you, there is no show. So rest well at night knowing that you help me make this show every week. And through your generosity, you are helping thousands of other people around the nation enjoy something that you are helping make. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Until I talk to you next week, sleep well, dream of beautiful things. Love you. Thank you for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.